This is Discover Your Dog, the show that demystifies your dog's behavior so you can get the best results from your dog training. This show is brought to you by FamilyDogFusion.com, the online training community where dog lovers from all walks of life can learn how to help their newest puppy or even their oldest dog become the best, happiest member of the family. Get your free membership with access to professional online dog training at FamilyDogFusion.com. This is Devin Best, co-founder of Family Dog Fusion and co-host of Discover Your Dog. In episode 38, professional dog trainer and wearer of sandals, Benny Copeland, focuses on distracting your dog. Learn how to improve your dog's training through a process of increasing distractions. And stay tuned for a simple way you can gauge your dog's distractibility and adjust your training to accommodate. All in this focusing episode of Discover Your Dog. We are on episode 38 today. 38? You got it right. You didn't even hesitate. Look at you. I, yeah, I practiced that as a matter of fact because <laughs> <laughs> you looked at the notes. Nope. Finally, <laughs> you know, it's coming from this place of, you know, we talked about the other day that we want to begin to do things more live so that I don't have to go back and do recordings after the fact to insert right. and edit into the show. So I got to thinking. That's one of those things that I have to do is I have to know which episode we're on <laughs> and I, <laughs> Good idea. I have to, uh, you know, come right out of the gate with it. So that's, Good. that's why that, so what's going on, man? Um, what are we, what is the problem that we are solving for our dog loving audience today? Uh, I'm actually going to go into another one of my rules and I, I noticed that I've hit, you know, postulates and rules and, and I've hit more rules than postulates and I only have a few like, 15 or so rules that um, I actually have for my dog training and I have like 30 something postulates. So there's going to be a point where we just really start getting into my theories of training later on. Um, And as I go through this process, you know, it's just really what comes up naturally next because it is to me, it is the basics, you know, getting back to the very basics of why I do what I do and the, Basics of really understanding to communicate and uh, dog training. Well, can you tell our audience the difference in time? I'm your audience today. What is your, what's the difference between a rule and a postulate? Okay. And, and we did say this uh, maybe briefly in a couple episodes ago. Um, the rules that I have are the rules that we use when uh, applying any of the training methods that I do, like today, we're going to talk about the rules of distracting your dog or my uh, rules for distraction. And so when you're going to be training, when you're going to be actually working with your dog, these rules are going to apply. You have to abide by these rules. You have, this is the thing to create those structures. Remember structure is rules. Oh yeah. Much as you hate that. (laughs) It's just the grammar of it. (laughs) And, and, and that's it. So these are the rules and how we're going to apply those rules. And, and that really is what uh, the plan is today to talk about um, how to apply each of these rules in the everyday situations um, that they're uh, training and working, whether it's a formal training session or just, you know, everyday reaction in life. That sounds pretty useful. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we spent some uh, energy on putting this together. So hopefully, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's take a brief moment here. Uh, You know, don't often um, talk this way on the show. And I do want to acknowledge 
uh, big big celebrity has passed, and this one really personally affects me, and that is Muhammad Ali. And uh, you know, I am from Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, Ali has been a an institution in this town since before I was born. And you know, he's known as the Louisville Lip. And you know, oh. um, among other things, he was a, he was a community member here, and so he's always been a tradition in my family to talk about him, to honor him, to you know, to hero worship him. Quite frankly, with good reason. Um, I believe Muhammad Ali to be one of the best people that maybe has ever lived. And uh, he lived his life with conviction and principle and utter certainty. And I have been inspired by this man my entire life. And so to witness my town, my hometown and his hometown come out and and give him the courtesy of, you know, acknowledgement and respect, you know, a motorcade winding all the way through Louisville. Our, our steamboat, the Bell of Louisville, blew a funeral dirge as his motorcade passed by uh, the museum that Louisville has called the Ali Center. You know, it's very, very intense and poignant to, to hear all these speakers, to hear Billy Crystal come out and talk, to hear, um, you know, these luminaries and these industry people who are influenced by Ali. And to see, you know, did you know, did you know that his involvement, uh, he, he took a trip to Iraq in the 80s and met with Saddam Hussein and that he helped. Now, I'm not saying his negotiations did this, but his his influence actually contributed to the release of 14 hostages during that time. Wow. Frame, which is amazing. I mean, this guy's touched so many lives. And so I want to take a moment on our show here to pay uh, respects to this amazing person, this amazing man, Muhammad Ali. Um, yeah. I am glad to have lived on this planet in a time that he did. So thank you very much. And um, let's move forward. That was very nice. That's nice. And, you know, one of the things that I've always respected about him and what I learned in my life, and we talked about this a little bit in the last episode um, about confidence. I mean, this guy had some amazing confidence, even <laughs> to go through um, the, um, um, it wasn't really a disease that he had the Parkinson's. Yeah. Parkinson's and to go through that and still to make the appearances that he did and still to do the things that he did, even through the, all of that. And I just, I couldn't even, you know, there used to be a time in my life that I couldn't even imagine having that kind of confidence. And now I do. And, and, and I see it that, that it's something that's, uh, always to strive for. Very cool. Yeah. Excellent. You ready to get into today's topic? Let's do it. So today I was uh, at my house and I happened to be outside. I usually spend a few minutes alone outside, just being in the quiet outside and uh, having a cup of coffee, things like that. And my Molly started barking and, you know, I've told you in the past that she very rarely barks, especially if I'm home. You know, but I was outside and I'd been outside for probably 10, 15 minutes and uh, I ignored it for a few minutes and it just kept going on. And she's I also get it with her sometimes that once she starts, she just doesn't stop until she's told like she's, <laughs> I think she's got dementia and she just just does these repetitive things. Yeah. And um, so, of course, I'm ignoring it. And finally, I walk in and the plumber, <laughs> who was, I wasn't sure if he was showing up today or not, was at the door. And of course, my phone, which was inside, had been, you know, text bombed and phone calls <laughs> and all these things because he'd been nice. standing out there for a few minutes. And it got me thinking about the things that um, I worked with her about the distraction, like the knock on the door was always a big distraction with her. Um, so if ever we were doing something and someone knocked on the door, man, boom, she was at the door. 
And even today, so someone here was knocking on the door and she was barking at the door um, thinking that I wasn't there, which was fine. You know, I have no problem that my dog barks when someone knocks on my door. I want people to know I have dogs. Right. And she definitely has a big dog bark. And I remember like even now, like where I said, if I'm inside and someone knocks on the door, they don't bark. Especially like if we're all in the same room, like I'm in the kitchen or I'm in the living room and someone knocks on the door, it will not bark at all. And it's because I've taught them through the process of using that as a distraction while they do commands or while they are, you know, being naturally in the house, that it now becomes kind of the rule that if I'm home, you don't have to bark. That's cool. Not don't bark that you don't have to bark. Right. It is not their job. It's not their job that they have to. Yeah. They don't have to protect me or do whatever. Remember it was, um, I don't know, about two or three episodes ago where I said that Oz barked at someone and I came out of the bathroom and I was like, you don't have to bark. I'm at home. Oh yeah. And I I said, he knew what he was doing. And you're like, (laughs) what? You just called me out on that. It was really funny. Um, and that's the, you know, and there it is. I mean, when he perceived that I wasn't around anymore, he, he did what I would expect him to do. And I love that. I love that. That's really uh, cool. It also plays into what you talked about with that, uh, that trainer who reached out to you to talk about training the dogs when he's not at home, right? To do things, right. to behave right. in a certain way when he's not at home. And so that's curious that uh, you see it. You know, you saw Oz behaving in a way that you like him to behave. That's great. Did you, uh, did you encourage him? No. Well, and it's just one of those things where it's not really that it's encouraged. It's that I, I don't discourage it. Okay. You no. Know? So uh, in that case, I came out there really just to kind of hush him up at that point. And there was a, there was a point, well, there was a point that I realized like they always did bark when someone would knock, even when I was there and I would just immediately say hush and then they would quiet down. So then I would love on them really big just yeah. to let them know that, Hey, it was okay. You barked. Just thanks for being quiet. And then it just got to the point where, well, there's no reason to bark if he's here because he's going to make us be quiet anyway, kind of thing. <laughs> Not that they analyzed it like that, but <laughs> right. like that, you know, so. statements. <laughs> right, right, right. So, well, yeah. um, so what else? There's something else though that, that came up for me. Okay. It is, what is the specific word we're using? Um, distraction. Okay. Right. I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear a definition of distraction because I can see a couple different things. It could be um, that I'm working with a dog and, and she gets distracted in the middle of it or that, so what do, what do you mean by distraction? Well, anything that um, happens that uh, creates it that she stops paying attention to me and she's, you know, going on about her business. It could be as simple as, you know, being outside and a leaf blow by and then she wants to jump at the leaf. Um, oh, I know. So I was working with this couple yesterday and the guy kept bringing the dog around to this one little grassy spot. And every time he'd bring the dog around to that spot, the dog would start doing that thing where he would dive into the grass and roll in it and all that stuff. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, man, there's it looked like there may have been like some rabbit poop there. So, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> yeah. and the dog's trying to roll all in it. And it was so funny because I and I never said anything to him about it because I wanted to see if he would catch it. But he kept stopping at that spot. Spot at that very specific spot. And I'm like, why do you keep stopping here? Your dog does the same thing every time and you continue to stop here. And it was a big distraction. And the great thing is, is that he stayed on point. Like he would make the dog sit in that spot. 
you know, and even though the dog was doing this thing, distraction, he would stop what he was doing and he would create it that the dog, he told the dog to sit and he created that the dog would sit. So working through that distraction was very good as well. And another reason why I didn't say anything, because he was willing to work through the distraction, even though he kept stopping in the same spot. And finally, at the end, I was like, you do realize you keep stopping this spot and he's just going nuts over here. And that's when we got to look at and found like it looked like there was some uh, rabbit poop or something there out in their yard. You know, based upon that definition, what did you say? The distraction is anything that gets the dog to stop paying attention to you, right? Right. Isn't that kind of the opposite of a correction? Right. uh, So, well, a correction is to make them stop what they're doing and pay attention to me. Right. Right. So it's the opposite opposite effect or or a complementary effect. Let's say it that way. Not opposite. Yeah. Well, it would be complimentary, but it would be, it would be the thing that I would use mm-hmm. to get them to stop doing that. So yeah, in that, in that part where they would be distracted, I would correct. No. And then that means stop doing what you're doing, pay attention to get them to pay attention at that point. That's cool. Yeah. Well, that seems like a pretty useful topic today. So how are we going to, how are you going to get into this? All right. So the first thing I wanted to talk about, cause, um, these rules for distraction, and it's it's interesting. I didn't call them my three rules for distraction because there are three rules um, for distraction or of distraction, and uh, we're going to go over those today. And there's always something that I um, I go by uh, when I do that. And and if you notice, most times I stay very um, true to my ten to one ratio. Um, I use that, uh, of course, you know, the uh, 10 to 1 rule, which is you got to praise your dog 10 times for every one time you correct your dog. And um, you're going to see how this applies um, in the rules of distraction as well. Uh, The other thing that I do is that I I stay very simple with um, the way that I teach. I do things in threes. And there's no really no rhyme or reason for it. I just, I like to keep it simple. Um, I don't want well, to. I think actually there is a rhyme and a reason to it, Benny. Um, science has shown that uh, humans remember groups of threes very, very well. Yeah. And, uh, and sevens as well. You know, like threes and sevens, those, those numbers resonate. Like one of the reasons the phone numbers were seven digits um, originally before area codes. So I think it's great that you're using threes and it makes it very simple for us to think about it and to talk about it. Right. And, you know, <laughs> to say that, that's funny. Do, have you ever heard of Brian Tracy? Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, so he's a business guru and he teaches um, people how to be successful in business and life and things like that. And I was looking him up one time because I wanted to find some, some of the things that he had said. And he has this course and it's a, the 187 Steps to Success. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds intimidating. Yeah, I'm not sure success so is for me. <laughs> I was so willing to open that book. And stuff. <laughs> That's correct. 187 Steps to Success. So what was your impression of that? Do you like that or do you think that's like, that's crazy it's destroying it yeah (laughs) so i do i do pretty much oversimplify things you know i have my three tools for training uh the three correction rule obviously we talked about um last week or the week before last i'm sorry and then um the three rules for consistency uh which is typically something we're going to go really in depth in at the toward the end of our back to basics um series here and these are my three rules of distraction. All right. Bring it on. Bring it on. All right. 
So I'm going to go over each of the rules, and we're going to go a little bit in depth into those. Cool. The first part of this rule is that once your dog has done any one thing 10 times in a row, then she is ready to move up to the next level of training or distraction. And what do you mean? That, that, what do you mean has done one thing 10 times in a row? Bark one thing. Bark 10 times in a row, peed outside 10 times well, in a row. It, yeah, and yeah, peed outside 10 times in a row. That yeah. would be a good one, right? In terms of that it's a rule or a command, for example. Okay. Now, I use a command, like the sit command, for example. And I think we talked about this one time on a show. If I told my dog to sit, there's nobody in my house, and we're sitting in the living room, and I tell my dog to sit, and without correction or motivation, she sits, and she does it 10 times in a row, then I feel like at that point, I would be ready to move up or move to a higher level of distraction or to move up in the training with her. Okay. What would be one thing that I could do that you would think that I could move up or another level of training? Um, Change location. Right. So what about going to the interstate, you know, and doing it on the side of the (laughs) Right. A little more distracting, right? That's way too high. Right. Like, that's really high. So, yeah, so maybe uh, changing to go outside. Um, right. Maybe uh, in the backyard where there's really no other distractions or maybe even add another person to that um, scenario. So now there's someone else in the room and now my dog's holding a sit uh, or working on the sit command with a little bit of more distraction. And that's the way that you want to build by looking at, well, if my dog's doing this really good, and I think what happens is a lot of times people think, well, my dog's done a sit here once or twice, and then we're ready to go do that. Oh, oh, this is a good example. I get this a lot, and I tell people this all the time. Don't go work in your dog in front of your friends when you're going to have a party next huh. week yeah. and tell them, hey, look, look what my dog's learned. And then you start to try to do all those commands with your dog and they refuse to do any of them. <laughs> that sounds exactly right. You, then your friends look at you and you go, how much did you pay for this training? <laughs> <laughs> because you've just increased, like exponentially increased the distraction. And here you are thinking, oh, well, my dog would do this in, in my, the living room by himself. Why not? You know, he should do it anywhere. Oh, well, think about this. How many times have you accomplished something, Benny, that you wanted to show off to somebody? Like, I remember the first time I juggled three balls at a time, right. and then I rushed out to show my parents. I was 15 years old, and I rushed out to show my parents, dropped every single one of them, could not do it to save my life. <laughs> I got self-conscious, a little different with a human being, right? I got self-conscious about it, yeah. knowing that there's sets of eyeballs, but I guess it's the same thing, though. I got two sets of eyeballs looking at me that I want to impress, and it's a distraction to me from actually focusing on the accomplishment. So is that, and that can be the same thing. Like when you, if you took your dog in there to do that, then you might start to get frustrated and then things start to change and you're not doing it the same way that you had done it all those times prior. Sure. So it could be that as well. So, yeah. So when I say 10 times in a row with, um, to be able to move up, that means that your dog does it, even if they do it nine times in a row and then they don't do that 10th one, you got to keep working on it to get those 10 times in a row. And that means that no motivation, no correction, no physically putting your dog into it. No way are you doing anything. You just say the command and your dog does it. Boom. Okay. Okay. So that's the first part. The second part of the rules of destruction is that if you use something as a distraction and then your dog breaks that command three times then that distraction is too big and you have to go back or reduce the distraction. So let's say, for example, using the same set command that inside the house, my dog did great. 
And then I step out in the front yard and I uh, tell my dog to sit. And three times in a row, I have to either use correction or, and he is just not doing it. Like I have to go over the top or I have to put him into the situation, you know, put him into the sit or, um, you know, I'm having to correct him too much or whatever. He is just not going to do it. That distraction's too high. Okay. So then I have to look at what would be in between there. So if outside's too much of a distraction and inside is not enough distraction, then it may be just adding the second person to the room. Or it might be that I do a sit and then do something else. Like I do a sit and then maybe a come. So that way I'm now adding another command to the sit. It's not just the sit. So it might be just complicating the situation a little bit, you know, um, adding, adding some distracting noise, some distracting circumstance or altering the, the way that we usually do things. Is that, is that a, is that a good idea or a bad idea? Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, that would be what you would look at as to the next level of distraction. What this part is about though, is that recognizing if the distraction is too big. So in other words, okay. Let's say someone knocks on the door. That's a big distraction. So I work on that. I'm knocking on the door and my dog now is learning to hold a sit or a down through the knocks on the door. And then someone rings the doorbell and the dog breaks the command. And then they, I ring the doorbell again. The dog breaks the command. I ring the doorbell again. The dog breaks the command. Too big of a distraction. So maybe it would be um, knocking on the door maybe a little bit louder or knocking on the door and then coming in. Sure. So something that I would have to look, what would be a step backwards from the doorbell? Because the doorbell is way too high. Uh-huh. That's, you know, we haven't worked on that enough. So you're talking about using this three, this, this three distraction thing rule. Is that what right. you're calling it? The three distraction rule? Yeah. If they, if they break the command three times by whatever distraction it is that you're using, now, the easy one, a uh, easy one would be to like if you threw a toy and the dog got up three times to go get the toy, throwing the toy is too big of a distraction. So you got to reduce it. You got to look at what do I need to do that would be a less distraction, but more than what I'm doing already. And the dog's already um, being good at that. Yeah. So we're testing the distractibility of the dog with that given distraction. Right. And you want to work up to that level. Uh huh. It's just that you have to be aware of what's too high because some dogs. It could be just eye contact would be too high of a distraction. Sure. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, and then all of a sudden you make eye contact. Wow, the dog's up, right? And so that's too big of a distraction. So you got to work on other things um, to get the dog to learn to hold. But you keep making that eye contact just to work through that. Just to, and, and we've said it all the way from episode zero, to desensitize your dog to those things, knowing that they have to hold the commands even through um, that distraction. Ooh, I have a great question. And I don't, I don't want to be a distraction with this myself. And if we could nail this in a short amount of time, it'd be great. Can the hierarchy cause distraction? Can that, um, like a different, you know, you've referenced this hierarchy before. Mm-hmm. Can, a a member of the hierarchy that is a higher ranking member than the person currently being interacted with, let's say they enter the scene. Can that influence a dog's distractibility? That's, I, like when you first said that, I was I was like, where is he going with this? And what you said really makes sense. Like it really makes sense. So I'll use myself as an example. I will walk into a house sometimes with a dog and the dog is really testing the boundaries with the owner. And then that owner will pick up the leash and I, and I always say, okay, just show me what you've been working on this week. 
So I have an idea of what they got, what they missed, where we need to go from there. And so the owner will pick up the leash. And then all of a sudden with me in the room, they'll tell me this dog is not doing anything. And then all of a sudden with me in the room, boom, it does it. (laughs) Right. 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 Or the opposite will go like I'll be there working with the dog and then maybe a kid will walk in the room and the kid is more the dog's playmate and boom, too big of a distraction. So yes, I mean, it can, the hierarchy could be um, something we could use, we could view it that way. Is it the hierarchy or is it how the dog responds to that person? Um, typically when I pick up a leash, just because I'm so very consistent on how I work with a dog they're going to behave and do much better than they had done for the owner in that process too, simply because I create a level of hierarchy immediately mm-hmm. when I'm yeah. with that dog with too. your attitude, so. your demeanor, right? Yeah. Your confidence yeah. level. Right. Yeah. With all that. So great. Very good. All right. So let's jump to number three. Whenever you use something as a distraction, after that training session is over, you have to assess whether or not your dog can participate with that distracting item. So I'm going to read that again, and then we'll talk about it. Whenever you use something as a distraction, something as a distraction, after the training session is over, you have to assess as to whether or not your dog can participate with that distracting thing, that distracting item. All right. Is this just a fancy way of saying, is this working or not? No. Okay. No. And here's why. Because there are different things that we can use as distractions. And we're going to talk about this. This is actually going to be part of the homework. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about this. This is something that I figured out, and I've never seen this written anywhere. I've never seen it, heard anybody ever talk about this. And it's one of the things that I figured out. And uh, I almost feel like I should tell a story. I almost hate to tell a story. Well, why don't you ask, answer the question first? And then if okay. the story is. There are certain things that you will use as a distraction that your dog should be able to interact with. So for example, let's say you use a tennis ball and you have a dog with a ball drive and you use a tennis ball as a distraction. So they're holding a sit or a down and you throw the tennis ball and then you have to correct them back to the down because they're going to get up. They're going to want to go after the tennis ball, right? Right. If I'm consistently using this tennis ball as a distraction, and then I never allow my dog to interact with that, just that tennis ball later, they will soon develop a fear of that tennis ball. Really? Yeah, because I never, I'm only creating these negative events if I use it as a distraction. Okay, I get you. I got it. If I use it as a distraction, then I have to play with the ball after the training session's over. So once I've used it as a distraction, let's say they're doing really good. Now, I remember my Gabby was amazing with the tennis ball. I could put her in a place, throw the ball within a foot of her all the way by her. And it would go, it go zooming by her and it would stop, you know, 30 feet away. And she'd be watching that ball sitting in the place. And then I would say, all done. And boom, she's up. <laughs> right. That's awesome. And she really learned to hold. And what I saw through the process of how I was being trained and when I was being trained is that in the training sessions, we wouldn't play with that item afterwards. So dogs that had a ball drive, they would end up going home, not liking the ball anymore because we never play with it afterwards. And I thought, wow, that's kind of ridiculous that this dog, why isn't it that, why is it that this dog now views this thing as such a negative thing? And it was because number one, we use negative means for training And number two, we never would play with them after. We were never showing them. It's not the ball. 
It's the fact that you would broke a command. Okay, so were you now using this information? Were you able to alter your training to make that you know different to where they would still all the time? Yeah, that's the rule. That's where the rule came from, right? I see. So now you have to like when I teach people. If you're going to use something like that as a distraction, then you have to assess: is this something I want them to do? So another thing would be knocking on the door. So let's say someone knocks on the door while my dog's holding a command. Well, I don't ever want my dog to bolt to the door or bark or do those things. So I don't go allow my dog to walk to the door after the training session's over. You see what I'm saying? I do. Yeah, right. So this is the thing that I go, oh, you don't have to participate with this. You don't have to. I don't have to deal with that afterwards. I never want you to bolt at the door. Jumping up. If I never want my dog to jump up and I'm continuing to correct my dog, and then someone, you know, people come by and they're tempting or, you know, the dog wants to jump up on them and chooses to stay on the floor, and then I'm loving and loving and loving on them, I'm not going to go allow them to jump up on that person later, you know, if I've corrected them for it. This is a little confusing to me when you first said it and when I read it on the notes here. Now what I'm hearing you say is that if the thing that we're using as a distraction is a part of the dog's everyday life, Mm Mm-hmm then there could be a reaction to the thing itself after the fact, if not addressed properly, if not dealt with properly, if not allowed to participate. That's why, that's why it's, you know, you have to assess whether or not your dog can participate with that distracting thing. I find that language a little um, difficult to, to parse. That's why I'm, that's why I'm kind of going around this in a different way. Okay. So when you say allowed to participate, what I'm looking at that is like um, with about this, let's use this as an example. Let's say, You get in the car with your child for the very first time, and he's just learning how to drive, right? Mm. So now he's behind the wheel, and as he's driving around, you start screaming at him and grabbing the wheel. You even may even stick your foot over and slam on the brakes a couple times because you think that he's doing things bad. But instead of coaching him through it, you take total control of it. You make it this super negative thing for him. Do you think he's going to want to get in the car again later, especially with you? Well, you know, that's the, the kicker there. I'm saying, yeah, I'll definitely want to use the car again for freedom and so right. on and so forth. But to do it with me and to do it in right. a pleasant way. <laughs> maybe with mom. Not even a little bit. <laughs> yeah, maybe with the older brother, but not with you. I actually saw that when we homeschooled my oldest son that mm-hmm. uh, eventually over the course of three or four months, he did not want to for me to teach him anything at all because I was so right. reactive and so unpleasant to be around. And so it ruined the whole thing. So I see what you're saying there. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And. It doesn't mean that he hates you. It doesn't mean that in in other situations, it's just in that situation. Now, what happens is, is that he has this hesitancy. He has this thing. And, and, and that's where not, not to compare that. Obviously you talked about that um, children analyze. I mean, he can get it. He's just being really frustrated right now. And you can explain that to him. He's going to get it. Your dog can't do, you can't do that with your dog. Right. And eventually you can go in and you can apologize to your kid and go, you know what? I really handled this in a wrong way. I really want to help you with this. I want to do this and I want to do it the right way. And I want to do it where you enjoy it. And he's going to give you another chance. More than likely your dog's not going to because they've been reacted to. And like I said, because we wouldn't let the dog participate with that ball afterwards, they would go home and they wouldn't like the ball. They would be scared of the ball. Boy, you know, this is in, in almost two years of, working with you um, this is the first time that we've discussed this. That's a fascinating revelation that you could only have really pulled from your kennel days, right? Oh yeah, definitely from the kennel days. And that's what we do. I mean, we would, we would put dogs in, um, into a down or a sit 
and we had targets on the wall and we'd throw tennis balls at the targets and the better the dog got, the closer to the target that they would sit as we threw tennis balls at the target. And then, you know, they would do good. We'd finish up the workout and then we'd put them up. We wouldn't let them play with it afterwards. And I literally saw a few dogs go home and they would not play with the ball anymore. And this was a dog that loved it. And I just felt like that there was something really wrong with that. You know, there's something really wrong with what's going on there. And I didn't figure, I couldn't figure it out as long as I had that corrective type of attitude toward training and that corrective um, method that I was using that method of training, I never could figure it out. Uh, So until I started making that switch. So that is fascinating. Well, thank you. So one of the things that we are now going to do at the end of each show is we're going to do a quick little summary. And uh, so I have just three things to go over. Number one, is that we talked about the use of the 10 to 1 ratio and how that is a running theme throughout my training. Also, that we teach thing in threes. Uh, we want it to uh, be very simple. Uh, w- what is the quote? Uh, Keep it simple, silly. <laughs> so <laughs> we want to do that. And um, that's what I like. That's why I keep things in threes like that, even though, Devin, you said that there's a very good reason for doing that as well. And the last thing is that we talked about the rules of distraction and how they are to be used and to assess the level in which you are training your dog and which you are distracting your dog. It's good stuff. Yeah, I like it. I like the summary. That's cool. I think it helps. Helps me uh, bring it back home, you know. Because all that dog training you're doing. Oh, man, I'm just saturated in hours and hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> this has gotten kind of long. So do you want to go ahead and get into the homework? Yeah, I think it's about that time. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so this week we are going to pick out six items or actions that you could use to distract your dog. Um, I'm going to list a couple here, and we actually talked about them, so I'm not going to get really in-depth into it. And then you can decide whether or not your dog should interact with these items after using them as a distraction. So one of the six things that you could do would be to knock on the door or ring the doorbell. Now, this is something that can be a big trigger for your dog and get some really big activity or, or you know, get your dog to be very active. Uh, most dogs, they'll, they'll bark or growl or jump. And uh, the way that I did it was I would start knocking from inside the house where the dog could see me. And then I would build up to the doorbell from there. The way I would build up is I might open the door and then knock on the outside of the door where the dog could see me, then close the door and knock on it from the outside or have someone else do it and then finally build up to the doorbell. Now, because this is an item that you don't want your dog to interact with later, You do not have to bring your dog to the door afterwards. The second item could be tossing a toy or a ball. Now, this could be a big trigger. It could not be. And it's a good way to create a distraction. Even if your dog's not a big toy player, you could toss something. could be a treat even. I usually start from a far distance away from the dog and toss the toy away from the dog, not toward the dog. And then slowly get closer to the dog or toss it more toward the dog or past the dog. And then that way you can really see how your dog is going to react to that toss, to that thing uh, that you do. And you can build up the distraction by getting closer and more, uh, I don't know, what what do we call it, aggressive with a toss or something like that, you know? 
and uh, it really typically is going to alert their prey drive either way. Now, this is something you would want your dog to interact with afterwards. So you want to play with your dog after through the training session um, of doing that maybe uh, five to ten times. Then you want to play with that toy with your dog or give your dog the treat or whatever it is just to interact with them. Now, Devin said that I had to list a few other things, so I'm going to list a few other things. And I still want you to come up with six items. It doesn't matter if all six items are things they can or don't need to interact with. Um, Just come up with six items that could be distracting and build up. Sitting down is a big distraction. Uh, Maybe a child or another person uh, running through the room is a big distraction. Remember, I talked about Cody running and jumping on the couch at one point. Using uh, or going to the treat bowl or, or the closet or the drawer, wherever you keep the dog's treats. That's a big distraction. And then like things like dinner time. Uh, that's also a big distraction. So that's your homework. Find six items that you can work on. Uh, obviously, we take one day off a week. So you're going to work on this throughout um, six days of the week. Please let us know how it goes for you. And if you have any questions or anything, please feel free to uh, comment. Uh, you can go on to Family Dog Fusion Facebook page. We actually had a great note on the Facebook page from a doctor out of Santa Barbara. And uh, she made some very valuable comments to us. And we really appreciate any comments that you guys um, would like to send about the homework or anything else. She, she wants my next homework book. Remember that Devin? Yeah, that was a great suggestion. I, I like the fact that was a, that was a very humbling comment that she gave us to hear her talk about, I and mean, she's a vet, you know, she's a veterinarian right. and to hear her say this, sound like she's been in the industry for quite a while to hear her commenting about how well we put together the show how well you explain things in very, very simple terms. And the fact that here's somebody in California of all places who, and she says the thing, you get it. It's clear that you get what's really going on. And that she spread this out to her, you know, some of her um, people in her networks, you know, some of her friends and family. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, that's great. Yep. Yeah. And we really appreciate the comments. Um, That's what keeps us going. I I was very excited to uh, be able to respond to that and, and, uh, read that over and over again excellent all right man awesome well we will talk again next week yes dog lovers you've heard us talk several times on this show before about some resources that we've created for you on the website familydogfusion.com and i'd like to talk about that here today we have this membership that we offer which uh, includes three very useful resources for dog owners one of which is an ebook entitled The Three Tools for Training. Now, you've heard Benny talk about The Three Tools for Training in various ways on this show. And what this ebook does is it puts it all together into a nice progression so that you can understand how these three tools relate to each other, when to use each tool at the appropriate time in training, and how to tell the difference between praise and motivation. Excellent book for dog owners to get a general grasp of how dog training works. Now, the second resource that we offer is an ebook entitled Potty Training Your Puppy or Dog. And as the title implies, the tactics and strategies put forth in this book are applicable for both puppies and dogs and are detailed as appropriate so that you are training your puppy the proper way and that you're training your older grown dog in, a, in the appropriate way. The third resource we have available for you is a video about walking your dog on leash. And the value in this is seeing Benny working with a client and seeing the proper leash technique, the proper way to hold the leash and so on and how that all fits together. 
And so taken together, these three resources build a strong platform for your training that will influence literally all aspects of your training downstream. So it's really important to get a good handle on those. So if you'd like to dig a little bit deeper and enhance your understanding of how this whole training thing works together, what I want you to do is go to familydogfusion.com slash register. On there, you'll fill out some personal information. It's a very simple little form. And after you click submit, you'll get a free membership that uh, gives you access to these resources as well as a growing community of other people who are of like mind. So go to familydogfusion.com slash register and we will see you on the inside. And happy 4th of July, everyone. Independence Day. Happy Independence Day, everybody. All right, everybody, we'll see you all next week when Benny discusses the rule of no and the rule of praise. See you then. Also, if you're listening to the show on Stitcher, please give us a thumbs up now. Babies' butts and blowing leaves are all great distractions for your dog. So will they get all aspects of uh, training? Oh, my. Did I say it? Did I say it? I'm going to shove your aspects right where you can. (laughs) You. You and me. It's me. It's all me. Keep blaming me. I need somebody. I need a scapegoat. Benny the scapegoat Copeland. (laughs) 